economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Hi, and welcome to the show. I'm Dr. Justin Clark. I'm the Menard Family Professor of Philosophy and Ethics, and I'm here with Dr. Peter Jacobson, who's the Gwarton Institute Professor of Economic Education and Research, and Dr. Russ McCullough, the Wayne Angel Chair of Economics and the founder of the Gwarton Institute. All right, well, we got uh, kind of an unexpected guest today. So my brother-in-law, uh, Luke Grove, who was an undergraduate economics major, I might add, um, I, I think deals with almost nothing to do with economics, but I'd like to think economics is about everything involving people. So I think you're still doing economics in your own way. Uh, we thought talking about big data and the data economy would be uh, a fun one to do given what uh, Luke does for work. Um, so it's interesting. He gets into lawsuit cases and uh, has some big clients like Pfizer and has to do some data forensics. So I don't know, Luke, why don't you color us in a little bit more on what you do? Sure. I work um, primarily with big data sets and uh, we're doing investigations, potential litigations, all sorts of different practices and where we're diving deep into individuals or companies' data. And right now, everyone's data footprint is growing. And we're watching now with cloud-based applications and chat applications and, of course, email that uh, these, types of, these types of investigations require a few different angles. So, you know, historically, maybe people were looking for keywords or they were looking for um, some trends with individuals. And now uh, as data footprints grow and as, um, as everybody is getting more involved with with uh, digital applications, uh, we're using more machine learning and uh, looking for people, looking for trends in data based on what we know is good. We'll build models based off of responsiveness calls or um, just things that are interesting. And then now we can take those types of models, apply them to all of the data and start really combing through and, and finding out uh, what, what we're looking for based on uh, you know, computer algorithms. So you have, uh... It's more than just like current lawsuit cases, right? If I remember right, you uh, comb through current emails to see if a doctor or something said something negative or wrong about Pfizer's product. Sure, that could be that could be the case. We set up, we'll set up uh, databases uh, to help them look through where somebody may be using communication that's not necessarily on brand with what they're trying to communicate to their clients or to um, the customers. So does that mean you have access to the, let's say the hospital's internal emails, like you're granted access, or is this all out in the public domain that you're doing these type of searches? So I think there's a little bit of both. So essentially, I think what they're really trying to do is look at the individuals and what they're saying internally to each other and what potentially gets broadcast either to the healthcare providers or to the sales reps. Because, you know, a lot of things that we do, especially in our family with a lot of doctors involved, a lot of it has to do with how they're communicating what this particular drug or program that they're, that they're working with is saying. So if I'm understanding right, probably like a, a decent number of people whose emails 
the this company or your your company go through probably didn't expect their emails to be looked at, right? Like this is something that happens uh, when something goes wrong. Typically, yeah. So, and then the, the people who are working with external resources, maybe the the drug reps, probably know that this is the kind of stuff that they're monitoring. I know in the past those are the types of things that we've changed laws around to sure. make sure that drug reps do certain things. But maybe uh, a scientist that is working with another scientist internally may not think about it. They've probably got mm -hmm. other things on their mind. Yeah. So they think they probably have some privacy going into it or just don't really think twice about it. But yeah. So I, I guess, are there any, do you, or does anybody in your industry, maybe is a better question, have clients that are like actively monitored clients that aren't in litigation, things like that, you know, is, are there companies out there that really monitor you know, employee emails constantly looking for keywords like, you know, quit or job opportunity or something yeah. like that. That's so, what I'm curious about. Yeah, I feel that that is something that's coming up more and more. And it's something that's coming up more and more because the cloud is giving that data to, you know, it basically exists on Microsoft servers. So every time you're agreeing oh. to a privacy thing and things like that now, they're collecting data and they're collecting those little bits of data those little metadata that you can start building trends off of. And I don't know if you've seen it now, but you'll get maybe a report like, hey, this is your weekly report and this is how much you've worked on X and Y. Mm. Those are the things that now, because we have a cloud-based computing system that we used to own on our servers, but now they own those little pieces of information. Mm. Sure, Justin, you've got something? Yeah, I have a question. So uh, it's it sounds like a lot of what you're describing is what we would, I mean, it's, it's forensic in the sense that it's looking to, to mine the data to see who did what, uh, but then kind of related to what Peter's question was, and I think related to what you said at the very beginning was that, you know, a lot of times they, they build models and, are you, and use this data to kind of project forward and not in the sense, see who did what, but uh, maybe, are they using this predictively and not just forensically? If yeah, preparedness. Yeah, absolutely. So um, you could apply a model that you know has an element of responsiveness to some new data coming in to kind of help ensure that what you had done in the past is being done with new data without having to um, kind of go and sift through it like you would in, in, in historically. So we're seeing that trend uh, happening quite a bit. And we're, we're seeing people using triggers um, as data comes in uh, that, you know, so they can, they can have a marker for what they're looking for right out of the gate. So um, hmm. it's, it's definitely a changing landscape. And I think a lot of it has to do with where all, all of our put, footprints are expanding in multiple different areas. Chat becoming probably the biggest one right now. I don't know how often you guys use your chat mm -hmm. apps here, but that seems to be the direction most people are, are going. So finding trends in chats is uh, probably the hottest thing right now. And this could be something, uh, well, I, I hate to use the word innocent, but uh, I mean, really helpful if people are chatting that there's a problem with their machine or something from a retail perspective, mm -hmm. they could start to find trends that there might be something they need to fix on the production line of their product uh, because this has been the consumer's reaction. and. Since it's on the chat, then it's it's more current. Yeah, I've definitely heard of um, the keywords that some people are using, and this is even talked about at my my company. We're not that big of a company; we're probably two hundred fifty people. But even just chat sentiment, you know, just seeing who's 
the negative Nancy in the group, things like that, <laughs> or maybe where there's potentially uh, issues or a lot of communication versus very little. And maybe the just amount in general could trigger either there's an issue or maybe some people aren't communicating enough and not doing their jobs well enough. Hmm. So another industry level question, again, doesn't have to be specifically your business, but yeah. I also know like a lot of times if you try to like log into school emails from, or, or well, school for me, I guess it'd be work emails from like home computers and things like that. A lot hmm. of times uh, doing that requires you to give like certain permissions and things like that. Do you, do, do, has the industry kind of expanded into, or businesses expanded into looking at, uh, you know, people's personal devices, cell phones, uh, you know, home computers that they've allowed permissions for? Yeah, so it's a, it's a pretty big topic is, you know, bring your own device, for instance, if sure. they can put some applications on your personal device that allow for the company data to remain private and separate, that's great. Um, most people are just paired in annoyed enough to carry two right and we they typically even encourage us to carry two if you can do that and keep everything separate mm-hmm. um, but there is definitely a, a merging of those two especially if all of a sudden somebody then t- sends you a text that is business related slash potentially friendly so um that's why i feel like the footprint is continuing to grow because yeah. there's so many areas in which you could potentially communicate with somebody and it's all owned by Microsoft <laughs> or Amazon or Google or whatever. Um, so is there such thing as being anonymous? Um, when you've done these cases before, I, I think I was surprised when I've heard you say some things. And, you know, what does anonymity look like uh, when when you're trying to uncover something yeah. and dig into the deal, details? Um is it really possible to be anonymous or not? So with HIPAA, yes. So with the with the actual data, if you're looking for, say, a HIPAA detail or something, you're looking at client charts or, or individual charts. And, um, you know, every time that we're doing some layer of research with those, so it's very high security to make sure that the individual's information is private. And there's a lot of tools out there that help guarantee that that stuff is hidden, especially when it goes out to maybe a case or it gets produced or starts leaving different hands. You got to make sure that that data is private. There's also, um, you know, new acts of privacy, especially in California. We have one uh, where you can request your data back. So Hmm. all of the information that you have created as an individual with the company, you can request for it back. There's a big act that happened in, um, in the, well, the, in the European uh, nations called the GD, well, GDPR, essentially there's a, there's a function inside of GPR called erasure where you can request that your data or your name be removed from all communications. Like getting it, uh, what's that called? Redacted, sure. yes. essentially. Essentially from redacted from, from there. So mm-hmm. that privacy is expanding in concern. We thought it was going to be, it's a, it's a massive thing. We thought it was going to be even more so that people were asked for this information. Hmm. Justin? Just to be clear, though, data is different than like physical property in the sense that, uh, you know, I know you said erasure, which is good, right? Because when yeah. you're asking for a company to give your data back, um, since data is infinitely uh, duplicable uh, by its nature, there's a sense in which, uh, you know, it's not like there is a piece of data that is given back to you. You have to depend on the company to erase your data from their servers. And if that data gets out, um, there's no guarantee that uh, all copies of that data could be managed or controlled. Is yes, that, I'd yeah. say that's accurate. I mean, our digital footprint is 
is quite is, is expanding and you know an individual may ask and a company may do its best there also could be a legal hold going on in a case where you just can't get that data out because there's something going on that's um related to a lawsuit where it's going to they're going to need to continue to hold that data but it's definitely an increasing an increasing trend where people are growing more and more concerned about where their data goes and uh, just even with their employers and so do we have to have government intervention to do this or is there a private sector way out of it it sounds like california is making moves with laws like they often do yeah <laughs> it seems like they lead the nation uh and i mean lead in the sense of doing it first um uh, sometimes good maybe sometimes bad um whether that's a a need for to have laws on the books through government as opposed to some sort of private solution mm -hmm. um so we'll uh this looks like a good spot for a break. So let's um, come back and, and talk about that and property rights. And then also the other types of data that uh, are out there and we might uh, just be mindlessly giving it away. Is it a big deal or not? We'll be back in just a bit. The Gordon Institute at Ottawa University is the best place in the Midwest for students seeking information about economic freedom, social justice, human flourishing. We talk about it all here. We've got a philosopher, an economist, and all kinds of great things going on here at Ottawa University. We have some special high school events. One is Everyday Economics, where we bring in some students and have some great discussions on economic freedom, kind of centered around the Common Sense Economics book. And then we have PPE Fest, a nationwide gathering of high school students, and uh, there's scholarships available to help with travel. If you have a student that's looking for an experience like that, please contact Justin, Peter, or Russ today. All right, we're back. Um, so, Luke, uh, let's—you had a question over the break on on data-related stuff, and I thought that was a good one to to throw out to us. What were you thinking with your California background, laws uh, regulating this stuff? Yeah. So, you know, as privacy concerns are increasing. And, uh, you know, my world is usually dealing with data after it's created and try to find trends in the data that was created. I am, we're noticing an increasing amount of data being created and trending live. For instance, um, a data kind of catered experience, so to speak, where you search for, uh, you know, something related to a swing set as because you're curious on how to build one. And before you know it, you're getting ads to buy a swing set or something related to uh, playground uh, equipment in in your Amazon, in your feed and whatever, all sorts of things are connected. And I was curious if you guys, as I'm sometimes deleting private data or not literally deleting it, but covering it up as because individuals don't want it and also trying to find specific data trends, do you guys like the idea of a data-driven economy in which your personal experience is and things that you're looking for are tying into what you're being advertised. Well, Justin, what do you think about this Orwellian 1984 world we're somewhat in? <laughs> well, when you put it that way, I love it, Russ. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I really don't like it. Um, and it, for a couple of reasons. First of all, uh, the first reason is that usually I think these ads that I'm, I'm getting, they're it doesn't seem like the algorithm's that great. So like I bought a weed blower or a leaf blower. And then for like three days, my ads were like 
would would you be interested in another leaf blower? And uh, you only ever need one leaf blower at a time. It's not like you're out there with you know one on each arm doing more leaf blowing. Speak for um, yourself. But yeah, <laughs> but uh, I mean the the easy response to that is well these algorithms are going to get a lot better, right? And then it will be helping you. And I, my objection really is the, the more philosophical one, having to do with privacy, which is that. Um, no, I don't like my experience to be uh, pre-generated by an algorithm looking at the choices that I've already made. Um, and uh, I know there's there's been a big discussion about like there seems to have been a kind of change in Google search algorithm somewhere between like 2011 and 2016, where when you started searching on Google, they stopped trying to show you exactly what they think you wanted to see. And it started to more show you what they wanted you to see. <laughs> yeah, um, and uh, once you allow the kind of um, advertising algorithms in, uh, that will shape those kinds of search results that I think that shift is really inevitable. Um, and so, I mean, I know when we were talking earlier, we were talking about the amount of data, you know, a lot of people maybe thought that these, you know, there's emails that are on the servers. They might've thought these things were private, but maybe they weren't private and Russ said, well, maybe it's good that, you know, in some places that uh, those are watched, you know, maybe we'll find problems that a lot of people were having, but they weren't individually reporting and uh, can't this actually be a force for good? And I think the answer there is something like, well, you know, if I wanted it to be public, um, I, I would have made it public. Uh, I would be alarmed if somebody said, well, you know, the reason we have been watching everybody in America have sex is that we, we think maybe there's, uh, there's some problems going on in the bedroom. And you know, if we can identify those problems that not everybody's reporting, uh, maybe we can solve those without you, know, you independently having to go ask. And it's like, no, I actually want uh, bedroom activity to be private. And if I wanted to invite you in, I'd have invited you in. Uh, <laughs> well, so I, I'll, I'll play devil's advocate here a little bit, even though I, I think I do tend towards Justin's thinking a little bit here. I, I do want to like provide uh, a, a sort of a counter. You know, a lot of times this happens with like the economics of advertising a lot. And this is especially a criticism, uh, Justin being the socialist here, of course, this is especially <laughs> a criticism that socialists make of capitalism and, and advertising. And, you know, there's this criticism that, and there's several, but uh, basically that it's like creepy and it's trying to control you. And these advertisements on billboards are going to get into your minds. And, uh, you know, this is why we have uh, 14 different types of toothpaste and your life is miserable because you have to choose between the toothpaste. And man, it's hard to choose toothpaste, you know. Uh, you hear this a lot um, out of kind of the the more like classical socialists, we'll say, uh, not so much the modern ones. Um, I think there's a certain extent to which, uh, you know, these sorts of algorithms are just making it cheaper for people to find what they want. Like this is the upside, right? Is that, uh, you know, an entrepreneur has an idea and if he can just get it in front of you and allow you to consume it in a way or allow you to learn about it in a way that's like not uh, unpleasant to you. Uh, they, then you'll buy the thing and you'll be happy. So yeah, maybe they, that offers you a second leaf blower, but maybe it also offers you like some sort of 
uh, I don't know, weed whacker that you actually really need to go with your, your leaf blower. And maybe you actually do get a better deal. I'm sure I've gotten some good deals by these suggested ads that I hadn't thought of on the flip side. Uh, and so, you know, out of my devil's advocate, and by the way, this is like, if you're a, pers a person who follows economics, uh, specifically Austrian economics, this is Israel Kirzner's theory of advertisement is that advertisements are just there to, uh, make it pleasant enough or low cost enough for you to absorb the information. The downside, though, is uh, I think that there needs to be uh, better and easier ways of opting out of this sort of thing or, or clearer ways of telling when you've been opted into this sort of thing. I, I think that's ultimately the direction things need to move, because uh, I agree like, with Justin, like there are limits on what I want used in some search algorithm to tell me things that I want. It's like, you know, uh, a, a like negative side of this would be like if you're maybe like an alcoholic and you're searching for your search history includes like alcohol things. And that now, you know, five, you're five years sober and all of a sudden, you know, you're being blasted with, uh, you know, order vodka to your address now for free. It comes with masks yes. like uh, COVID lockdown. Alcohol. It comes in powder form. Uh, uh, you know, th this is something that could destroy someone's life. And obviously this is an extreme example, but the point is it would be really nice if someone could opt out and say, Hey, please don't, uh, you know, look at any of my search history that includes the word alcohol, because I don't want alcohol sent to me. Uh, or it'd be nice if you could get on a computer that, you know, that computer is not going to uh, relay certain amounts of information. Uh, and I think that's hard right now. And so I, I would like for it to be easier for people because I think there are circumstances where it doesn't make sense. So, you know, I, I'm to answer your question. I'm someone who opts out, right? I've got I've got a dumb phone for a reason. You can't search my dumb phone because there's no capabilities that allow, I don't have a browser. There's nothing to search, right? Explain a little bit for the listeners what what your dumb phone is. It's called it's called the Light Phone. We are not officially sponsored, so I'm not going to plug them too hard. Uh, <laughs> if they want to send me money, I'd be happy to. But it's just a little phone. It has like GPS, podcasts. Uh, text calls and that's basically it the calculators on there but no browser uh, no social media no nothing like that so i think there's some loose connection to a cloud out there and i guess you know at most it could search my text messages but the point is i don't do anything on this thing anyways i hardly ever use it and so i i purposefully opt out of technology but it's very costly for me to do that i wish i could have a smartphone that I didn't have to worry about what information was being tracked and that sort of thing. It'd be much more convenient. I hate when I go on a trip with this thing and I try to use the GPS and it can't locate my car because it's, I don't know, got a 1980s GPS chip in here or something. Uh, so I, I think there's pros and cons is basically what I'm saying. Uh, and I'm sure the pros have helped me before. Uh, I just don't want the pros to always be around. So let me follow up with yours, Peter. So are you okay with government intervention for some sort of opt-out rule of law? Like, uh, is this a place where government needs to step into your life and help you out? No, uh, because I, I don't think that I trust the you know national security state to say, hey, we're going to monitor the data and make sure it's not being used improperly, right? Like we know... Uh, that we there were calls being monitored after 9-11 and all these sorts of things and, uh, you know, improperly and unconstitutionally using people's data. So I'm not super interested in the government saying, oh, you can opt out and here's this button and we'll make sure it only goes to our server, not anybody else's, or we'll keep it safe for you. We're not even going to look at it. I'm not interested in any of that. Yeah, I, so I will, but with your, so then the solution is you think there's a market for either a company to develop opt-out options that make it easier for private companies to 
allow their customers to opt out or something? Yeah. I'm trying to figure out why yeah, it might I, be a solution. I mean, it, you could be a Windows could provide this along with a. I mean, the thing is, you need a lot of different companies to work together yeah. to do this, which That's is what a makes it difficult. Issue. That's what I was wondering about if the law might be the only way to. Well, like you could imagine Google doing this right now, even though they wouldn't, you could imagine it. Uh, you buy a Chromebook, that Chromebook is connected to, we'll say Chrome private, uh, which actually does, unlike, you know, incognito mode, actually does uh, not keep track of your data. Uh, and, you know, it, it's the, the book, the browser, all of it keeps everything private. And, you know, we have VPNs. So those are things that sort of do this. They mm -hmm. make location mm -hmm. hard to track, though, again, it depends on the VPN and, you know, it, it's not always what you think it is. Uh, but I, yeah, I think there's a market for this, just like there's a market for the light phone. Uh, I think that as data becomes increasingly more valuable, uh, which it is, I think people are going to be more and more protective of it, uh, because people like to hold things that are valuable and they yeah. don't like people to capture things that are valuable. Yeah. I was them. also going to add for the listeners, you actually paid more for your dumb phone than most smartphones. Well, I, smartphones, I, I thought, right? I thought that was true, but then I, Haley just bought smartphones and they're all $300 plus nowadays. So not, not quite, but I did spend a lot of money uh, compared to what I would, yeah. would have thought for a, a dumb phone. Yeah. yeah. Well, for, for me, I, I, I don't really like that experience and in general, um, but I was trying to think of how the human experience. So let's go back 40 years. It still happens today for that matter, but you know, there's good salesmen. So you, walk into a store and maybe it's a shoe store and, and they listen to what kind of shoes you want. And they say, Oh, well, maybe you'd like this uh, pair of socks would go great with that. Or, you know, some sort of shoes, uh, shoes shine kit or some compliment to it. And uh, in general, we, we tend to like that. You can get pushy salesmen too, but like, how is this different than that? If it's the computer. And as I've been sitting here, I think the difference is, is that they're not only learning about you with your current problem, but they have this vast data set of everything else you've purchased in the last 20 years and uh, the people you hang out with and the comments that you made. And it's, it's like this vast array of your whole profile. And I, I think that's the thing that I find the most troubling. I, like you, there's been circumstances where I'm like, oh, well, that was nice that the computer suggested something for me, but Overall, I don't think that benefit outweighs it. So. Yeah, I think all the rage right now uh, in terms of political discussion is this Senate bill that will probably be passed based on what we know about the senators who support it about uh, funding states to enact red, red flag laws. And, yeah. you know, you start to wonder uh, if information becomes just very easily accessible to all people. Uh, mm -hmm. How long is it until someone makes like a, you know, a 9-11 jet fuel can't melt steel beams joke uh, to like meme joke to their friends. And then that filters into some server that says this person's a conspiracy theorist right. and conspiracy theorists uh, cause mass shootings at 1% higher probability, therefore yeah. enact their. So I, yeah, I, <laughs> I don't worry so much about someone advertising to me. What I worry for is the secondary effects of yeah. uh, a central collection of data. And, That's and really I think that was me. Justin's point. You kind of hinted at it, but like the, the Facebook, um, what was the name of the movie that we watched with the students? Uh, the social network. Social network. That's, that's a great show for people to watch but on how if those ads are catered to you no that, that's the documentary uh it's the social dilemma social that, dilemma that's, that's okay what it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh if those ads are catered to you and those suggestions are catered to you then you stay in these echo chambers and like you never learn a true opposing opinion depending on where you're getting fed your stuff and so i think that leads to the at least a contributing factor to the polarization that we see today in the united states so 
All right. Well, any other last words on this topic? Justin. Yeah, uh, we started out the discussion talking about these enormous da data sets yeah. and where they were. And part of the reason that they are being mined, the way they are being mined, is because of where they are, which is, uh, you know, Microsoft owns them or these giants, uh, you, the, your data exists on these giant servers, right? Yeah. Um, and so if you want to talk about a potential way to stop, um, if you don't like this and you would like to talk about a market-based way to stop this, um, Urbit fixes a lot of this, right? Where all your data, uh, you run your own server and all your communications are peer-to-peer -peer and encrypted. Um, and they're uh, provably encrypted. And the idea, you know, part of the problem is that when you go to someone else's server and you communicate on that server, um, it is just obviously going to be in the incentive of whoever owns that server to use that information in a way that is going to be to their benefit. That is what people mean when they say that data is the new oil, right? They mean that, uh, look, uh, this, is an this is an asset that we can, uh, we can use. Right. Um, and so uh, I, uh, the thesis of Urbit is that, um, you know, we want to make people's communications actually private and let you own your own data. And so, I think it's hard to solve this problem at the governmental level and saying we're going to pass these laws saying that you know firms have to erase data, which yeah. you know, it's data, so that's very hard to do. I think the only way to fix this, from my point of view, is to actually have encrypted communications between individuals that aren't housed on uh, you know a megacorp server on a third party uh, deal. Yeah, yep. I think that hits it head on. I don't have anything. Oh, okay. I thought I saw a little wave. So, well, Luke, thanks for uh, joining us today and uh, bringing this big data topic up. Uh, it was fun. Absolutely. I had a great time. Yeah. All right. So this has been a production of the Gorton Institute here at Ottawa University. I'd like to thank you all for listening. A five-star rating helps other people find us and be sure to just pass it along to friends and family that you think might like to listen to what we have to say. Other than that, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks. <laughs>